Welcome to Planet Sleep. I'm your host, Josh, and tonight we'll be traveling halfway around the world to the beautiful and mystical country of Egypt. While we're there, I'll be taking you on a private tour into one of the most marvelous and ancient structures, the Great Pyramid of Giza. Before we go, I wanted to remind you that one way you can support Planet Sleep is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Also, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so that you can let other people know how Planet Sleep has helped you. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Higher Love Wellness, my CBD brand. You can get 10% off all of my premium hemp extract CBD products at higherlovewellness.com and use code SLEEP for 10% off your entire order. But let's prepare our minds, bodies, and soul for the journey ahead. Take a moment to find somewhere to lie down or sit in peace and quiet and allow yourself to calm the mind down and prepare it for this most epic journey into the Great Pyramid of Giza. You walk beside a knee-high wall made of limestone. The small road carries a mix of tourists, locals, and travelers, with you among them. You adjust the straps of your backpack and take a breath of the dry desert air as you walk the roadway. One side of the road holds the hustle and bustle of a breathing city tight clusters of houses and clotheslines holding colorful threads, while the other side of the road has the lands of a great ancient past, open fields dotted with burial structures and a testament to mankind's mark upon the planet. A one-horse buggy with rubber wheels passes by in the opposite direction. It carries a woman and a child, and they wave at you. As the wagon passes, you see the head of a great sphinx in the land beyond the wall. Its nose is gone, lost to the passage of time. Although defaced, the icon of an empire stands tall in the bright blue Egyptian sky. The massive mythical creature rests at ease on all fours. The hands of ancient workers use simple copper tools to carve away at the enormous monolith. It combines the head of a pharaoh with the body of a lion, cut from the bedrock. It stands as an imprint of man himself, and his fear of being forgotten. The monument has stood for thousands of years, and might stand for thousands more. The further you walk, the more the city of Giza disappears behind you, and the more you venture into the world of ages past. 
The tightly packed houses fade away behind a tall stone wall, and the city begins to open itself into the expanse of monuments and monarchies. You have walked the same lands the pharaohs once walked, and now you will see the lands they once saw, weathered by time and intrusion. You take a large stone pathway into the past. Its bed is crooked and worn, having been traveled upon by millions of people before you. You pass by the Sphinx, close enough to see the carved ridges of its body and the long paws that stretch out across the ground. As you continue down the pathway, you look out to the horizon ahead, where the great pyramids rest in the quiet desert plains. Beyond undulating bounds of rocky sand and the rubble of lost architecture, the corners of the pyramids rise from their foundation and reach upwards into the sky, where they meet at their highest point, almost perfect in frame and form. Grand and beautiful they stand, a graveyard for long-lost royalty. To your right stands the largest, the Great Pyramid of Giza, constructed between 2580 and 2560 BCE during the 4th dynasty. This is considered the golden age of Egypt's old kingdom, when famine was rare and workers were plentiful. Pharaoh Khufu began his dreams of leaving behind one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world. It would take several thousand workers and roughly 27 years to complete, and it would become the tallest man-made structure on the planet for nearly 3,800 years. Initially standing at 481 feet, its smooth white limestone casing was removed over time, and now it rests at 454 feet. Its base length is 756 feet long, and its exterior angles up at a 51 degree angle. From the perspective of the ancient world, its size is incomprehensible. It is a feat so unimaginable that for years Greek historians believed only the work of thousands of unpaid slaves could construct the pyramid within 27 years. Yet archaeologists have uncovered that paid skilled workers were behind its construction. Roughly 20 to 30,000 workers had been contracted throughout its construction. They lived in a town near the construction site, and they chiseled their marks into the stones throughout Giza, leaving behind the names of their work crews. They had mined the giant limestone blocks from the local Giza plateau, while others came from a quarry up the Nile River. It took an estimated 2.3 million stone blocks that weighed up to 15 tons each to complete the pyramid. They chiseled away with their primitive copper tools that needed to be sharpened often. And to complete the project in 27 years means a block would have been set every two and a half minutes, a speed that boggles the minds of modern day archeologists. It is still a mystery how the workers lifted the heavy stones up the pyramid as it was built before the invention of the wheel. So historians suggest that they made a series of ramps surrounding their worksite, and they hauled the massive stones on wooden sleds. As you walk beside the weathered stones and crumbling walls of a lost empire, you make your way towards the Great Pyramid. You maneuver through ancient rubble until you reach the east side of the pyramid, 
where once a great temple stood. Its walls are gone, and its pillars are no more. Only a bed of basalt covers the ground. A series of smaller pyramids line the eastern side, with falling rubble scattering the top. They are dilapidated yet remain standing after all of these years. It is commonly believed that the two wives of Khufu were laid to rest in these smaller pyramids. Further east lies the tomb of Queen Hedefers, the mother of Pharaoh Khufu. Sealed in a pit within a structured tomb, her sarcophagus had been found sealed in the early 20th century by accident, yet nothing remained inside. As are most of the secrets of Egypt, lost to the void of mystery for thousands of years. As you approach the Great Pyramid, its foundation seems to grow larger and larger, spanning across the bumpy terrain of the encircling pathways. You make your way to the north side of the pyramid that faces Polaris, as the pyramid was built almost perfectly towards true north. Knowing the ancient Egyptians' obsession with the stars, this doesn't surprise you. In the dark limitless sky of ancient Egypt, where the desert brought no clouds and the city shed no light, the stars remained a luminous mystery to the Egyptians. They were the spirit of mythos and gods, a place of unlimited imagination and power, and they oriented their monuments accordingly. You round the northeast corner and make your way to the entrance of the pyramid. Several steps lead up to a rigid hole carved into the side of limestone. And before you enter, you notice above 20 to 30 feet, a closed door embeds itself into the pyramid. This was once the original entrance, and the one you are about to enter is known as the robber's entrance. The original opening was sealed long ago, and once believed to have a hinged door that opened from the bottom. The tale of the robber's entrance has been lost to time but many think it was carved by an Arab expedition of scientists. They only later found the original entrance after chiseling their way into the side of the pyramid. The robber's entrance is rigid, but generally straight. Its walls are jagged and hard, and its path leads straight into the belly of the pyramid. You work your way through a cramped 90-foot tunnel in low light. The walls are hard yet smooth, and the further you travel into the pyramid, the more it smells of limestone and stale air. The fresh air of the desert has been left behind. The wide open tracks of sand and Egyptian rubble fade into the bright chasm behind you. The confined passageways of the pyramid close in. If by chance or some previous knowledge of the pyramid, the excavators ran straight into the granite plug of the ascending passageway. This was where workers had sealed the pyramid with granite slabs after laying the pharaoh to rest. And so begins your journey into the Great Pyramid of Giza. Your first decision reveals itself. At the end of this excavated tunnel lies the ascending passageway towards the king's chamber, or a descending passageway leads down to the mysterious subterranean room. To be safe, you take the road more traveled and bypass the granite slabs at the end of the ascending passageway. You look upwards into the shaft, 
and notice how different it is compared to the tunnel you entered through. The walls of the robber's entrance were crude and barbaric, but the way up looks to be made up of perfectly flat stone. You begin your travel upwards towards the heart of the pyramid. Not without its difficulties, the narrow passageway is claustrophobic and short, barely four feet tall. You bend at the waist as you climb the stairs, passing small lanterns that guide your journey every few steps. After 130 feet, you've traveled through the ascending passageway and come to a junction within the pyramid's veins. Another decision on which way to go. A horizontal hall opens up at the end of your climb. Ahead of you lies the queen's chambers. And if you continue to travel upwards, you will reach the grand gallery that leads to the king's chambers. A bit tired from the long climb, you think the best direction would be the flat passage ahead. It will be a much easier pathway and a place to catch your breath. And as you continue on, a small part of you hopes that Brendan Fraser will pop out from around the corner, dressed in his adventure gear with a satchel at his hip and a dark shaded stubble on his chin. If only a rugged, charming man could lead you through these mysterious channels. But alas, the corridor is empty. Its passage is dark but dimly lit. Its size is no bigger than the ascending passageway you just came from but you're getting used to crouching through the tiny veins to reach its heart. The blocks of the walls, floor, and ceiling lay flat and pristine. And once you reach the queen's chamber, you notice something peculiar about the room. You recall that the two wives of Khufu were entombed to the southeast in the smaller pyramids, his mother as well. For this to be the queen's chamber, who or what would reside here? As you enter the room, it is empty. No sarcophagus, no hieroglyphs. In fact, the queen's chamber was never for the queen at all. It is now thought to have held a life-size statue of the pharaoh. It was a shrine of worship in the pyramid center and had nothing to do with the queen. But from the earliest expeditions, they assumed it was meant for the queen. So the name stuck. Yet knowing how highly the pharaoh thought of himself, this whole pyramid was meant for him and no one else. Even the small holes in the wall of the queen's chamber point towards his inflated ego. You stand in the heart of the pyramid, perfectly centered north and south. You click on your flashlight and shine it towards the walls of the chamber. They are smooth and glossy under a harsh light. Above you rests an arched ceiling and from where you entered, there is a notched archway above. The room is roughly 17 by 19 feet. On the eastern wall, there lies a 15-foot niche, a carved-out semicircle that may have held the statue of the pharaoh. On the north and south sides of the chamber, there are two holes in the wall, roughly 8 inches wide. And as you shine your light up through one of them, the shaft seems to go on forever. These are the air shafts of the Great Pyramid. Others have been found throughout the pyramid, and they have been mapped out extensively by robots and fiber optic cameras. They angle upwards at roughly 45 degrees. Some of the shafts lead all the way to the outside, 
while others are blocked at the end with curious limestone slabs. Although no one is certain what they were used for, many think they acted as ventilation shafts that brought air into the pyramids while the workers constructed the rooms. But the fact that they were built at an upward angle made some scientists think again. The upwards angle would be more challenging to build compared to a horizontal shaft. Plus, the airflow would be much better with a horizontal shaft rather than an angled one. This led many to believe that their purpose was much more spiritual by design. With a pyramid so unnecessarily large, while remembering its purpose, a tomb for the almighty Pharaoh, practical thought may have had nothing to do with the air shafts. Many believe they allowed the soul of the Pharaoh to soar to the stars after death. It was commonly believed the Pharaoh ascended to the heavens and joined the circumpolar stars in ancient Egypt. These were the stars in the sky that never dipped below the horizon, regardless of the season. The Egyptians called these the undying stars, and since they were always visible, the souls of the pharaohs would forever watch over their people, even in death. They say one of the queen's chamber air shafts aligns with Ursa Major, and one in the king's chamber aligns with Orion's belt. Although we might never know what these shafts were used for, it's safe to assume that many of the pyramid's mysteries involve the pharaoh, the mythology of himself, and his journey into the afterlife. Planet Sleep is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with a traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. But if you want to get started with BetterHelp today, visit BetterHelp.com slash PlanetSleep. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, to get this special offer for Planet Sleep listeners, you'll get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash planetsleep. That's betterhelp.com slash planetsleep. You exit through the notched archway and head back down the cramped hallway towards the junction. You touch the walls around you and imagine the countless stones between you and the outside. All this for a king, you think? 5.75 million tons of rock 
chiseled from the quarries by thousands of workers, hauled and set into place over 27 years, designed and sealed to protect the corpse of a dead pharaoh. After all this, the king's chamber better be good. You make your way back to the junction of passageways, and you turn towards the grand gallery that leads to the king's chamber. On the floor beside you there sits a large dark hole blocked by an iron gate. Its rough ridges curve downwards into the floor, and within a few feet it holds only complete darkness. It is large enough for a grown man to climb down, but the gate blocks anyone from entering. You think of dropping a tiny pebble between the bars to listen to it cascade down the walls of the well, but fear you might disturb a slumbering curse deep within the pyramid. This well runs from the beginning of the Grand Gallery to the end of the descending passageway, 160 feet below you. It may have acted as a ventilation shaft during the construction of the subterranean room, but the fact that it's large enough to fit a human, the well may have served another purpose. Since it connects with the top of the ascending passageway, workers may have used this well to escape the pyramid after sealing the bottom ascending tunnel towards the king and queen's chambers. It is commonly believed that the tunnel was closed from within, so the workers may have slid the large granite slabs you saw at the beginning of the ascent down the long tunnel, climbed down the well to the subterranean room, and escaped the pyramid through the descending passageway. With so many different shafts and veins within the pyramid, the intricacies of its defense begin to add up. As you begin your climb through the Grand Gallery, you notice the vast differences between this tunnel and those behind you. The previous passageways were cramped and claustrophobic, while this one stretches 28 feet tall into a beautifully notched ceiling. Its prominence hints at what lies ahead, something of significance. The gallery stretches 153 feet long, and as you work your way towards its apex, you see the walls have been marked over time. Graffiti of all different kinds cover the stone walls, a reminder of the millions of people who have walked through these chambers before you, a place of sacred rest, yet explored, invaded, and robbed for thousands of years. With a structure so massive and a purpose so grand, it's no wonder why these chambers have attracted such trouble. As you look towards the ceiling, your weary eyes appreciate the amount of depth. The gallery breathes with more ease than the tiny veins below. The notched ceiling whispers the tales of its workers as they frame the massive hallway over 4,000 years ago. And somewhere above the ceiling, an invisible void lies in wait. Known as the Big Void, this empty space within the pyramid has been detected numerous times by explorers, but it has never been seen by naked eyes nor explored. Different experiments involving emulsion, charged particles and gas have confirmed the massive void above the Grand Gallery. Its length is nearly a hundred feet, and its cross-section runs similar to the gallery. Some speculate that it was used as an area during the tunnel's construction, but others believe it could be an undiscovered room. For now it rests peacefully above you waiting to be explored, but there is no known entrance. Its mysteries remain sealed for now, 
so you continue your way through the gallery. Dots of light guide you to the top, where you reach the great step, the last big lurch before the king's chamber. You move towards the antechamber, a small room just outside of the king's chamber, and here the interior changes from limestone to granite, and in the walls of the antechamber, several slits are carved into the walls. They lead all the way up to the ceiling, and this is where the workers slid massive granite slabs down in front of the entryway to seal off the king's chamber once he had been laid to rest. Yet another barricade before the king's tomb. The slabs are no longer in place, and the entryway opens up to the king's chamber. If the queen's chamber is the heart of the pyramid, this is its head. Almost directly above, this is the room. The culmination of all the work that had once been put into the Great Pyramid of Giza. As you enter, you notice the red-tinged granite walls, much darker than the limestone throughout the rest of the pyramid. The room is mostly barren, its size is roughly 17 by 35 feet, and the lone sarcophagus sits at the far end. A large chunk is missing from its southeastern corner, and the top has been removed. As you approach the resting place of the pharaoh, you see nothing inside. It is an empty rectangle of granite. Unfortunately, there is no spooky mummy wrapped in toilet paper. Discovered long ago in the early medieval ages, the explorers had found the tomb broken open and nothing remained inside. The treasures and artifacts along with the body of the pharaoh had all been looted. The chairs, bread, beer, and other objects that may have once guided the pharaoh into the afterlife were now gone. Despite the 260-foot-thick walls and the three slabs of granite in the antechamber, and the three thicker slabs that blocked the ascending passageway of the inner sanctum, intruders over the past thousands of years have managed to break their way through the defenses of the pyramid. And now, as you stand over the tomb of the lost pharaoh, you realize you might be an intruder yourself. Within the great pyramid of an empire, relinquished centuries ago, its greatness was only ever meant to be viewed from the fringe of the Saharan sands. Yet here you are in its most protected sanctuary, a place where countless have intruded before you and countless will intrude after you. Yet within the dark tomb there is a calm whisper. In a way, it is comfortable knowing that even the greatest pharaohs live, perish, and disappear, just as anyone else. That even the most prosperous and powerful fade away with time. Even those who build their monoliths into the sky and protect their lifeless bodies behind massive slabs of granite rock vanish. In death, we are all the same. So perhaps you are not an intruder in this place. You are a guest passing by the same as the pharaoh and everyone else. You rest your hands on the edges of the smooth granite tomb, inspecting the surface of the sarcophagus with your flashlight. You notice thin grooves run parallel to one another, and the surface of the tomb is surprisingly flat. Some suggest these miniature grooves are the markings of mechanical saws. Whether the ancient Egyptians had used more intricate tools than we once thought, or if the molding of the tomb was done much later is unknown. As always, a shroud of mystery covers the markings of history. 
You crane your neck upwards towards the ceiling 19 feet above. Five compartments stack upon themselves in the ceiling above the tomb, known as the relieving chambers. The purpose of these chambers is to protect the tomb in case the roof of the pyramid collapses. Even the workers understood the volatility of time. They knew the pyramid couldn't last forever. These compartments are made of nine granite slabs weighing about 400 tons total. And far up in the highest compartment, hieroglyphs were found by a team of archaeologists. They made up the names of the work gangs that chiseled the stone and constructed the tomb. Similar work gang markings have been found within the adjacent pyramids, which makes many believe the same work crews built all of the surrounding pyramids. You make your way back towards the chamber entrance and give one last look at the simple tomb. You imagine all the explorers who have visited before you, and how many more will get to witness its eerie emptiness. You head back down the grand gallery. It's much easier going down the steps, and you return to the junction that leads either to the queen's chamber or the descending passageway. There is only one last room you haven't been, the subterranean room. So you continue your descent back towards where you first entered the pyramid. And the only direction you have yet to explore is the descending passageway. Just as before, you crouch down and journey through 92 feet of the tunnel until the limestone blocks disappear. And you now walk through the excavated ground. You are below the surface and for another 236 feet, you walk beneath the pyramid. The descending passageway then levels out, and you work your way through an even smaller horizontal shaft, only three feet tall and three feet wide. In another 30 feet, you have finally reached the deepest known chamber, the subterranean room, also known as the pit, is the only known area of the pyramid that exists underground. It lies 100 feet below the pyramid's base and many argue over whether or not the room was finished or abandoned before its completion. It's the largest room in the pyramid complex, and its weathered walls, mounds, and shafts fill its mysterious layout. Even a small two-and-a-half square corridor runs for nearly 50 feet before it dead ends to nowhere, and on the ceiling just above you there is a perfectly square recess, yet its purpose is unknown. Some believe the subterranean room was or intended to be the pharaoh's tomb. Rough and irregular walls stand on top of strange crests of rock at one end of the tomb. They appear as if the workers stopped carving the walls and abandoned the project. Others argue they have been weathered by flooding. Many suggest these crests were where the sarcophagus was meant to be placed, and the channels below were meant to divert the rainwater that flowed in. The six-foot shaft may have been a pool to collect water, and the fifty-foot-long corridor that dead ends could have been used to divert the water so the room didn't overflow. Even the Greek historian Herodotus claimed that Khufu's body was underground and surrounded by water. Plus, the mastaba burials in the early ancient Egyptian times were typically placed underground. On one end of the room, a massive shaft in the ground has been fenced off, the shaft's edges are smooth from the weathering of rainwater, yet you can tell by the gouges in the side 
that much has been chiseled away. When first found, it rested only six feet deep, but was then excavated further in the 1830s by curious archaeologists seeking the waters that Herodotus alluded to. It took them one and a half years of digging an additional 40 feet into the earth, but despite their dig, nothing was ever found. Only the rainwaters filled the shaft. Whatever the room's purpose had been, much has been lost to time, as the room harmonizes with the rest of the ancient pyramid. The rainwater that flowed into the room through the descending passageway has erased much of its history. When this room is explored in the 19th century, the expedition found Latin graffiti across the walls, which means that even the ancient Roman had once wandered through the pyramid sometime after the Roman Empire's annexation of Egypt. But these markings have been worn away over time, and the only known artifact found within this room was a 20-inch thick slab of granite that had two perfectly circular holes through the block. Many believe this to be a remnant from the shaft excavation. The mysterious subterranean room has raised many unanswered questions. From its crumbling walls to its jagged channels, enough of the room remains intact to raise questions, yet not enough remains to answer them. They have been washed away with time, as was the pharaoh. Even the written histories of the pyramids were gathered thousands of years after their creation, and many of their tales come from indirect sources passed down through oral history. As you sit down on the crest of rock within the subterranean room, the strange angles, corridors, recesses, and shafts excavated from the earth remind you of the complexities of history. Jagged and uncertain, weathered by Mother Nature, each iteration telling a different story at different times of its existence. Yet its mysteries are what lures us into its depths. Each narrow passageway, chamber, sarcophagus, inscription, and void leaves enough space for us to fill them with imagination. What is subject to the unknown is left for us to envision. Would we rather have the truth, or would we rather have a story? In the end, only the bright burning ever-watching circumpolar stars know the truth. That concludes our journey to Planet Sleep for tonight. I hope you found this tour of the Great Pyramid of Giza to fill you with wonder and peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Planet Sleep, be sure to subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and leave us a comment about what your favorite part of the Great Pyramid is. Also let us know what other ancient sites you'd like us to visit in an upcoming episode of Planet Sleep. Hopefully you were able to find some peace and serenity during this ever-magical journey through the Great Pyramid of Giza. But until next time, sleep easy, my friends. <laughs>